Hello and welcome to this week's podcast. My name is Guy and we're continuing our musings of a GM. Last week we spoke about cannibals and what happens to nations when they fall over and die. This week we're going to talk about how nations survive. And it's quite a different story, and there are two aspects to that story. One we've briefly touched on already in terms of having written law, which makes it uh, referenceable and also kind of commits it to permanent record. So that's one of the major ways in which uh, nations can uh, start to entrench themselves and live beyond their uh, borders, as it were. If you look at the writings of the Greeks or of the Romans or of the Persians or of the Chinese from a thousand years ago or two thousand years ago, we still know about those empires because stuff was written down. People who didn't write things down, we have to infer or deduce from the ruins. But that's not the point of today's podcast. We're looking more specifically at how do empires grow. So we know what happens when they grow too big and can't support themselves. They collapse and turn to cannibalism or human sacrifice. But how did they get to the point that they were too big and what does too big mean? Well, a concept that we look at, whether we are talking about biology or whether we are talking about evolution or whether we are talking about anthropological uh, development, is for emergent items or emergent things that emerge roughly at similar times but in very separate groups. So, for example, when you look at pyramids, pyramids seem like a fairly unique idea. We're going to stack a whole bunch of stones on top of each other, making a pyramidal type of shape. Except that it was done in China and it was done in South America and Central America at various different times throughout the the, the history of those countries. We're fairly certain, fairly certain, although there was some evidence discovered, that the Egyptians had very little contact with the people of Central South America. There is some evidence that there was cocaine used by the mummies, which it would indicate some kind of transatlantic trade, but it seems tenuous at best. So, the idea of stacking stones on top of each other to build a pyramid is simply good architecture and good use of stone. Standing stones is another example. Lots of cultures have built standing stones from Southern Africa all the way to the UK, all the way across into Central America and South America and into Asia, etc., etc. So there's lots of things that emerge at the same time that, generally speaking, seem to be things that that's just what we come up with as humans. One of the ways in which large empires exist and maintain their existence, one of the emergent ways that we have seen happen over and over and over again, is a very simple one, and yet it only really came to being truly powerful, or truly different, I should say, around about 150 years ago. So it's a relatively new concept um, in terms of speed of concept, and that is communication. Communication is the cornerstone of controlling a population as well as entrenching propaganda into that population. 
when you look at various um, means of communication in today's society, television is one of the was one of the newer ones. The internet now is the newest one. And when you look at countries that are trying to control their populations, those that have denied the use of the internet or who have denied access to television generally speaking, have a very different type of country to those that have embraced it and have made it public, publicly accessible. Or in some cases, even a human right uh, to have internet access. I know I'm, I'm sort of all over the place, but there's a few points I need to make first before we deep dive into this particular subject. So communication allows you not only to share all of that wonderful written literature that you have now developed, which entrenches those rules and orders and makes things legal. So we had to have writing in order for communication to really work really well. Even the um, empires based in the Andes, they had the kupu, the kupu, I should say, which were knotted pieces of string, which effectively was a form of writing in order for those empires in the Andes to actually survive, the Incas and the Aztecs, and, well, not the Aztecs, the Incas. Um, so the idea of communication is particularly important. How that communication then is spread is equally so. If we look at the great empires, when you think of magnificently large nations, you might think of the pharaohs of Egypt. Now, the Egyptian empire, yes, it was quite grand, but it wasn't really very big. It stretched the length of the Nile, which was the communications medium. If you wanted to send a message from Memphis to Giza or from Giza to, let's say, Halicarnassus, uh, not Halicarnassus, that's the wrong nation altogether. Um, if you wanted to go from Giza, let's say, to Luxor, um, which are right next to each other, you get the point. My knowledge of Egyptian ancient history uh, cities is poor. Yes, it is poor. Thinis. Thinis is a great city that's far south as opposed to Memphis, which is in the far north of Egypt. If you wanted to get a message across, you'd put it onto a reed boat and it would sail down the Nile or up the Nile as depending and deliver your message. So that was as fast as you could get in terms of delivering messages. We then go from that empire, let's say, let's have a look at uh, the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was a spectacularly large empire spreading all the way from the far easts of Persia to the edges of Britain. A truly colossal, colossal space. And there's a saying all roads lead to Rome. And the reason for that is that the Romans realized that building roads allowed not only for troop movements to be a lot easier and faster, but for communication to be a lot easier and a lot faster. The Romans had the simple problem of we could write down our rules, we've got written language, and we can then dispatch those rules all over the place. But at best, the fastest form of communication that we can achieve is riders on horses. Now, oftentimes we see pigeons carrying messages and things, but unfortunately pigeons are a particularly limited carrier service and can only contain short amounts of messages. And of course, there is always the risk that those pigeons are intercepted by others or eaten by predators. So the reliance on good old-fashioned transportation via a satchel that contains a letter is pretty much what dominates in terms of being able to run your large empires for the majority of human history. Then suddenly someone invented the idea of having faster forms of communication, communication that didn't just utilize, say, for example, a, a courier 
um, or at least on a mega expansive way, it utilized couriers everywhere. So the next empire that we can look at is the British Empire. Circa 1890 was about when the British Empire was at its height. The phrase, the sun never sets on the British Empire, was completely accurate as the empire stretched from Canada all the way around to Hong Kong, um, literally spanning the entire length of the globe and from as high up as Britain all the way down to Australia in the south. How did they maintain their gigantic empire? Well, it was through dispatch. It was through sending letters en masse. There was vast amounts of literature going about. They, of course, had sailing ships that would take messages. They had couriers that would take messages. And, of course, on continental Europe, they had steam trains that could take messages even faster and more uh, messages, as uh, a matter of fact. So you have these kind of methods. Then we get to the final crunch, which is really where we started to see massive shifts in warfare and thus in control of our empires when we start to get the electronic uh, forms of communication such as the telegraph which was particularly utilized in the West, in the, U in the U.S., to help the U.S. expand and spread out across the, the, the majority of the continent of the U.S. Um, telegraphs allowed for instantaneous communication. It allows for all kinds of wonderful things that are, are law-based as well as for a booming economy. If you take away those forms of communication, things become very, very, very different and things start to fall apart very, very quickly. Again, we can see this um, if you look at any kind of coup where you're trying to take over a country. The, one of the first things that you do, apart from securing the leadership, is to secure the communications hubs. Nowadays, of course, with television and with the Internet, information is shared almost instantaneously from anywhere in the world to anywhere else in the world. I'm old enough to be of a generation where for a long time a satellite link was the only way to really get information from point A to point B. If you wanted to do it in under a minute or so, and even then I have been in part of the new revolution where you can share live video with a delay of 13 seconds anywhere across the planet. And that's a pretty impressive feat. So it allows us to communicate a lot. So when you're looking at these uh, different empires, communication has always been the key. It is the absolute key factor. And, and in terms of spreading propaganda, it is even more vicious. So when you look at propaganda war machines, you go from the war machine that the Nazis, well, yes, I suppose we could say even earlier than that, but that was being employed to try and convince people to support leadership. So Queen Victoria, who had a very long reign, she was the longest reigning monarch for a while until Queen Elizabeth II came along. But Queen Victoria, when she took the throne in the early parts of the 19th century, was not very popular. So her propaganda machine decided to link her to a famous female heroine who was known as Boudicca, the female chieftain who tried to defy the Roman Empire when the Romans were invading England under the Emperor, uh, Emperor um, Claudius. Emperor Claudius was invading Britain because he wanted to shore up his image amongst the Roman people who didn't believe that he was a very good Roman emperor. 
he had kind of taken control after Caligua had been assassinated and uh, no one really believed that he was going to be a good one. He had a few physical issues that he was trying to deal with. He wasn't really a proven um, leader in any of the political circles either. So he invaded uh, Britain. Caesar had tried to do it 50 or 60 years earlier, but had failed. He came along and said, no, we're going to take Britain. And so he launched into Britain, which created Boudicca. Fast forward to the 1850s and suddenly Queen Victoria needs to up her image. So she chooses Boudicca, the strong warrior champion, to be linked with her. And then Britannia came out of that as well, a strong feminine leadership figure. The propaganda was needed in order to shore up the ruling class and to maintain stability within their empire. That propaganda was then spread all over the world to make sure that everyone who was bowing to Her Majesty was bowing to the idea of Her Majesty wearing this weird breastplate and riding a chariot, which of course Queen Victoria never actually did. So propaganda is really powerful. During World War II, pamphlets were dropped on troops from both sides telling them how much they were failing and how likely they were to die and that they should turn on their own commanders and things. Nowadays, of course, the propaganda is what you should be buying and we're deluged with that propaganda on a daily basis. If Google had its way, every piece of software on earth would be promoting things for you to buy based on what you looked at five seconds ago in your browser. So when we look at how does this all affect our world creation, our storytelling, we realize that if we haven't figured out how our empire communicates within itself, most likely that empire is going to fall over and die. Very few massive empires existed without some kind of written documentation or authenticity um, device that that literally could be used um, as as a means of providing um, authority. Interestingly enough, when the British arrived in China, they demanded to see the Emperor of China to negotiate a trade and treaty deal, as they are wont to do. The Chinese Emperor is not seen by anybody, and it caused a bit of a diplomatic problem. So, in, in, in acquiescence, the Chinese Emperor bestowed a scroll with all of the authority and power that the Chinese Emperor had. The scroll was then placed on the throne, and the British ambassadors were shown into the throne room and presented with the scroll, which said this scroll hereby represents the emperor. The British didn't take too kindly to that, and so they invaded China, which I think is a fair reaction, you know, considering. Having said that, the British were very happy to send their own scrolls all over the world to try and declare their own rightful ownership of various other nations, but we're not going to jump into that. The idea is empires need to have some kind of written documentation that gives them authorita. That is what they need. Interestingly enough, most religions rely on some kind of written documentation as a basis of evidence for why those religions should be the one religion or the one religion of many. So that is where communication sits. When you are creating your own world, you have to be cognizant of the fact that if you have an empire, that empire has to have a means of communication. Now, when you look at the Roman Empire, which is arguably at the same technology level as most fantasy settings, the Romans were incredibly intelligent. They had aqueducts, which had less than five degrees of change over a hundred meters of travel distance so that the water didn't build up too much pressure and burst the aqueduct. That's 
phenomenal attention to engineering detail. So they were a really advanced civilization. They had courier posts as far as a horse could gallop in a day, or based on the original Greek idea, as far as a man could run in a day, based on how, how far their empire needed to go. So you could reliably get a message from Rome all the way across, perhaps as far as Paris, in under three or four days, depending on how important it was. If it was super important, you could ride the horses until they literally collapsed from fatigue and died, unfortunately, but you could swap horses at these posts and continue riding. And messages could be taken across Europe, across the Roman Empire as fast as, as humanly possible. They really were trying to figure out how to make these things move quickly. So when you are designing your empire, you need to figure out how does the empire communicate? Obviously, something that we have at our disposal, which the Romans did not have, although I'm certain that they, if they did have, it would be a very different world history that we're talking about, is magic. So we have now unpacked in the course of this musing how civilizations have expanded, how they've grown, how they've collapsed, what they have done to create some kind of sense of permanency as well as an, leaving an indelible record. The indelible record is what gives the future generations the ability to look back and realize that we are repeating exactly what we have been doing for the last 10,000 years, almost verbatim. Even though we can look back and do that, all it allows us to do is look back and go, oh, yes, we are recreating everything that uh, we have done before and not learning anything from it. But that's okay because we're at least doing it now on our cell phones rather than our, on our papyri scrolls. Magic is going to be a major disruptor to this entire process. And that is what we're going to be looking at in next week's episode, is just how magic is going to influence our world and how much it should or shouldn't influence our world. So you are forearmed now with a basic and very couch potato-esque overview of human civilization uh, development. Let's see what magic is going to do to all of this when we add it into the mix. So until next week, I wish you and yours the very happiest of gaming.